0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn his truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 13 today. Actually, I'll probably go ahead and start at verse 4 and 5. This will give me an uh, opportunity just to make sure that we are on course from where we left off last week because what we left off last week is very important to this week. So allow me to read John chapter 1, beginning with verse 4 and going through verse 13. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. To testify about the light, so that all may might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the light, the, the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's bow together. Lord, we do love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We pray that as we study today these truths, Lord, that you'll show us not only who the light is, but Lord, how we ought to be. Uh, receivers of the light, and also witnesses of the light. Or may we be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to hear about a man that was sent by God to be a witness to the light that we find in verses 4 and 5. 4 and 5 say, In him Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend or overcome it. So we know that the light is Jesus. Uh, In him is the word, the word that spoke everything into creation. Everything that exists was spoken into creation by Jesus. He came into the world now in flesh. He is the incarnate Jesus, the incarnate God with us. Uh, He's the long-awaited fulfillment of the prophets, prophesying Promising the Messiah to come. So he is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited fulfillment of the prophecy. The problem is, it had been 400 years since the prophet of God had spoken to his people. Do y'all know that's a long time? Can you imagine going back in history to 1619 and trying to remember that a promise was given to you? Would it mean anything to you today? If it had not been fulfilled in 400 years, why would you think it would ever be fulfilled? The problem is, more than likely, you would have forgotten about it and wouldn't even be include, you know, have a clue about it. In other words, it wouldn't mean anything to you because you wouldn't know anything about it. The good thing is that the Jewish people were excellent at knowing the history. They were excellent at knowing the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Any any good Jewish man would spend time in the synagogues hearing the word of God read and shared about. Anytime that he would go, typically there would be a passage of scripture. Usually a passage from uh, one of the prophets was also read, and they would discuss what it meant. And so... The Jewish people were very good at knowing the Old Testament. And they remembered all that the prophets had foretold. Uh, the problem is that as the prophets had shared these messages, they didn't receive them very well then. And so they were not always expecting anything to truly come into being from them now. But the, they, they continued to strive to live by the word of God, the, the laws of God written through Moses. And they did still believe that God would keep his promises. Problem is, they always had their own expectations of how God would fulfill his promises. But picking up verse 6, we see a man named John. It says that he is sent from God. Now, we're reading out of the book of John. However, the author of the book of John, which is John the Apostle, uh, the son of James, I mean the brother of James, the son of Zebedee, he is not this John. As a matter of fact, he never mentions himself in the book other than by referring himself as the one whom Jesus loved. He never refers himself to John in this book. So the John that we see in verse 6 is not the writer John. It is the man that we know as John the Baptist. Baptist or the John the Baptizer, either way. Uh, why You don't see that term in the, in the scriptures. You don't see John the Baptist. You basically see... The word John, and you know this, is John the Baptist because he is the one who is, he's been out in the wilderness. He has been called by God to be a forerunner of Jesus Christ. He's been called to, to call people to repentance for their sins. And when they do repent of their sins, he baptizes them as a sign of the remission of their sins, the forgiveness of their sins. And so we look and we see that this man, John, he came with a message of repentance. Now, in the other Gospels, it tells us a little bit more about God about John. It doesn't just say that he was sent from God. It describes his birth in in other scriptures, and the birth is quite unique. Matter of fact, his parents, Elizabeth and Zacharias, were fairly old. They were past the childbearing stages of life, and yet while Zacharias was in the temple serving, God spoke to him and said, Zacharias. You will have a son, and his name will be John. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 gives this statement about this son that John would have, uh, that Zacharias would have. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And the disobedience of the attitudes of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this John, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, had a special calling from God upon his life. If you remember, as we were going through Romans, we got to that passage where it talked about predestined and ordained and called and things of this nature. And we we dealt with that fairly intensively. And we looked and said that there are certain people that God specifically called for a specific purpose. We saw that in Moses, how he kept him alive as an infant, how he spoke to him out of the burning bush and called him to a specific ministry. We see a man named Samuel who God called to, to be, uh, to, to call Saul as a king, and then later David as a king. We see John being from birth, called to a special purpose. So there's specific people throughout the Word of God that have a very special calling, an anointing from God upon them. And John was one like that. Well, what was John's purpose? Well, his purpose was from what we see in verse uh, 6 and 7 that he was sent from God to be a witness, to be a testifier of the light. Who is the light? Verses four and five, we know that the light is Jesus. So John came to be a witness to testify of the light. Now, why was that important? If you remember what I just shared a minute ago, it'd been four hundred years since a prophet of God had come to share a witness to the people, about especially about the prophesied Messiah, the one who was to come. And so John is really the final prophet. The final Old Testament prophet or a brand new New Testament prophet, whichever way you want to look at it. He is a prophet of God sent in in the spirit of Elijah for a purpose, to point people to the light. Say, here is the light. Here is the promised Messiah. Here is the Son of God. Here is the one who came to save mankind from his sins. Matter of fact, that's exactly what he says. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to save man from his sins. And we look and we see that John had this special calling. God needed a man like John to say, it is time. He has come. John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. That tr- was the kind of the turning point that began Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, he's 30 years old. He begins his earthly ministry by, being, by John pointing out, behold, the Lamb of God baptizing him and saying, this is he who has come to save man from his sins. John, the writer of this gospel, I believe was present at that time. I believe he saw John the Baptist point and say, behold, the Lamb of God. And I believe at that point, John, the writer of this gospel, turned and followed Christ. We know that later on, he had gone back to fishing with his father and his brother, and then Jesus came alongside and pointed to him and James and Peter and said, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So we know that God had placed a special calling upon him as well. But the purpose for this John was to be a witness, to testify about the light, about Jesus, the one who was to come and who had now come. Now, the word testify is basically a a courtroom word. It was basically the same thing as if John was sworn into sworn under oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in a court of law. He was there to testify about the truth. The truth was that the light of man had come. He was a witness to that truth. He was basically saying, Behold, the light of the world has come to save mankind from his sins. And notice this thing in verse 7. He came as witness to testify about the light so that all might believe. Through him, did you did you see that word all? Is it in your Bible? Does it say some excluded group of people, only those who are specifically called, only the Jews, only a few? No, the word all is all inclusive. Anyone, all who believe may come. John came. Point all of mankind to the light. So we look and we see that John the Baptist then says, now I want to make sure that you understand something. I'm not him. I am not the light. That's what verse 8 says. He, John, was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if you're too closely associated with somebody, there may be the mistaken identity situation Well, they say, well, which one of y'all is it? Who's the light? You're talking about the light. You're talking about the light. You're talking about the light. Which one's the light? Well, John says, I am not the light. I came to testify about the light. And his name is Jesus. There he is. Behold, the Lamb of God. And so John did all he could to make sure that everybody understood. I'm not the light. I simply came to testify about the light. Testify about the light that would defeat the darkness. That would defeat Satan. That would give light and life to mankind instead of darkness and death. So everything that John did focused on fulfilling this calling of God, being sent from God with this special ministry of testifying, being a witness to the light. Did you know that you and I have received that same calling? Did you know that? We may not have been specifically called before birth to do this. But the moment that you and I confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives, we become a child of God. We become a disciple of Christ. And if you go over to Acts chapter 1, we see that the disciples of Christ have gathered together on the day of Pentecost. And they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And Jesus says in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the world. So we have received that exact same calling to be a witness about the Christ. About the light. We need to be the witness just like John was. We're not the light, but we're pointing other people to the light. Verse 10 shows basically that the light is revealed. Verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. So we know that Jesus is now in His incarnate body. He is now in His earthly ministry. John the Baptist has been pointing him out, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God. He is pointing people to the light, and now he is in the world. This shows that Jesus is God in the flesh, walking, dwelling among us. Now, if you remember from the very first verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says, All things that were created were created by him. And we go back to Genesis chapter 1. The word was spoken and creation came into being. God said, let there be and there was. That is Jesus. He is the power of creation. Can you imagine God, the creator, stepping out of heaven, taking on a human form like we have, walking among his creation, Can you imagine that every blade of grass he saw, he says, "Hmm, I created that. Every lamb he saw, he said, I gave that life. He looked at the sun, he said, Oh, I, I created that. I spoke it into being. That's not bragging. That's who he is, who he was in his earthly ministry. That's the power that he had and still has. We struggle to fathom. The humanity of Jesus, when we understand the godliness of Jesus. That he spoke all things into creation. That's the power that Jesus has. And yet he humbled himself. The Bible says he humbled himself and became like us. And he wept. And he cried. And he ministered. And he saw the need. And he had compassion. He had the human elements. That we have. And he showed us how we ought to live. And so now God is in the flesh. Dwelt among us. Living with us. Showing us how to live. But that verse ends on a sad note. Notice what it says. And the world did not know him. Why didn't the world know him? Well, like I said, it been 400 years since any prophecy about a coming Messiah would come. Even those who had heard about the coming Messiah, looked at this simple man, a carpenter from Nazareth, and said, that can't be him. We're under Roman rule. We need a strong military leader to to lead us out of this bondage. They were waiting for somebody with a political mindset that, that had risen up above everyone else to lead them away from what they were under. And they looked at Jesus he didn't fit the bill, and so basically, they did not even recognize him as being possibly a Messiah, the one who could save them from anything. Their, their basic way of thinking is: if they can't, if he can't save us from Rome, how can he save us from our sins? Well, that's the situation. He did come to the world, the world that he was that was made through him, but the world did not know him. Then verse eleven says. And he came to his own. The light is rejected. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Well, who were his own? Well, there's two ways of looking at that. One is a very general way. We're all his own. Do you know why? Because when Jesus created mankind, it says he breathed the breath of life into us. And it says that we are created in, the, in his image. So we are his own, created by him, given the breath of life from him. So all mankind is of him. And unfortunately, the large majority rejected him, did not receive him. But on a more narrow scale, I believe it probably is talking more about the Jewish people. Why? Because God had chosen them as his special people. The people of God. His chosen nation. And he had given the prophets to go to the people, the Jewish people, to prophesy about their sinfulness, to try to draw them back into a right relationship with the Lord. He promised through the prophets that a Messiah would come. So it was the Jewish people who were the ones who should have been waiting and expecting the Messiah to come. Yet, what verse... 11 says, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Now, there's a difference between verse 10, the world did not know him, and verse 11, and they did not receive him. One just simply did not recognize him as who he was. They just didn't know that this was the Messiah, the Son of God, that it was God in the flesh. Verse 12, I believe, shows that the Jewish people had received the prophecy They had John the Baptist pointing to this man saying, that's him, that is the Lamb of God who has come from God to save us from our sins. And they began listening to Jesus' teaching, seeing his miracles being performed, and yet they rejected him. What does that mean? It's that they decided, I'd rather stay in the darkness. I'd rather continue to live in my sin than to allow him to transform my life. I'm comfortable with who I am and what I'm doing. I don't want to change. So I reject the gift that God has given me through his son, Jesus Christ. So we look and we see they, they desire to remain in darkness instead of coming to the light. Verses 12 and 13 are a beautiful passage. It's the light received. After we read verses 10 and 11 where the world did not know him and those of his own did not receive him, we say, well, he came for nothing. Nobody's going to accept him. But verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. There's hope. There are some who will receive Jesus. The thoughts of the scriptures you would think that the Jewish people especially would have been rejoicing when anybody pointed to a man and said behold the Lamb of God, here is your Messiah, here is the one who God promised. You would think that they would say finally he is here let us praise him, let us worship him let us go to him and follow him. But that did not happen. Matter of fact the Jewish people as a whole pretty much rejected Jesus. There were some who did eventually receive him, but the majority who received him were not Jews. They were the Gentiles. And it was later in Jesus' ministry, and even even later when his apostles went out to the Gentiles to begin preaching the gospel, that they received this gift of salvation and eternal life. But notice what verse 12 says. As many as received him. Is there any restrictions there? Any group of people that you have to be a part of? Any special calling that you have to receive before you can receive? As many as receive him. That means anybody who comes to Christ through belief can receive him. Now, we look and we see there's there's really a gospel message here. I refer back over to Romans quite often to what I call the Roman road. The end of the Roman road says that if we confess our sins, I'm sorry, we look and we say, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Notice the two things. If we confess that Jesus is Lord, that is saying, a surrendering to the Lordship of Christ in my life, and believe that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. What are the two words here? For as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Now, we've gone through the process of salvation a number of times, especially as we went through Romans we know that there has to be a calling from God. There is a general calling from God for all mankind. We know that there has to be a, a, an action of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I believe that the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, draws people to salvation. I believe that it is a work of God in our lives that produces even the faith that we have to believe But even then, there is an act of man that has to take place before salvation occurs. We must take what God has given us through his word, through his spirit, through his calling, and confess, surrender to the Lordship of Christ, and believe that he truly is the Son of God, that he died in our place for the guilt and the penalty of our sins, that he rose from the dead to overcome the darkness and death and give us light and life. When we believe, then we can receive. For as many as receive him, we become children of God. Before we believe, before we receive, we're enemies of God. I shared this last Wednesday night when we're dealing with the topic of peace. We may not be blaspheming the name of God. We may not be shaking our fist at Him. But without Christ in our hearts, without a a, a surrendered life to Him, without true salvation, we are enemies with God. The Bible says that we were at enmity with God. I'm trying to get that word out. Enmity with God. basically says we're against God. Our lifestyle is saying... You're not in control of me. I am. But when we surrender our lives to the Lord, then He is in control. He is Lord of our lives. And we believe that He is the Son of God that saved us from our sins. And so we go through this process of salvation. And we receive and we become children of God. Before we were enemies with God, now we're His family. Big difference there. And the Bible says that when we are in His hands... No one can take us out. We belong to him. He bought us with a price. We're in his hands, in his grip. And no one, Satan, no one can take us out. We're his forever. So we look and we see that the light is now received. Now verse 13 kind of gives us a little bit more information. It says, Who were not born of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Now, What's that word, not not a blood? Actually, if you look in your Bible, there may be a little number or a symbol, and there may be a little footnote, and it says that that word actually means bloods, plural. What does that mean? Well, it basically means this. It doesn't mean matter if your father is a Christian, or your mother is a Christian, or both of them being a Christian. You're not going to get Christianity through the DNA. It's not going to be born into you through the blood. It's not going to be born into you through the flesh. And the flesh means you cannot work your way to receiving salvation. You cannot work to become a child of God, nor the will. I can't just say, I'm a child of God and be it. You can't just wish yourself or will yourself to be a Christian. There has to be a second birth. We'll get into that when we get over to the story about Nicodemus. You have to be born first of flesh and blood, the physical birth. Then there is a second birth, a spiritual birth, where we become a child of God. And that is what it's talking about here not of the blood, not of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And that's how we become a child of God through his power working in our lives as we surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ and allow him to work in us and through us to become his children. And we look and we see what a wonderful gift that is. Well, what does this passage mean to us? Well, we find out we're talking about a man named John. We call him John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. He came into the world specifically sent by God, a special calling upon his life, why? To be a witness and to testify about the light. Who is the light? The light is Jesus. John's whole ministry was to prepare people to receive the light. Before he, Jesus even came to the Jordan River, before John could even look up and say, Behold the Lamb of God, before John ever baptized Jesus, he was already sharing with people, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and be baptized. And people, obviously, were being convicted of their sins because people were coming from all over the Jordan River Valley to be baptized by John. They kept hearing this message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent of your sins and be baptized. And they began repenting. So John's baptism was simply for the repentance of sin. Later, the baptism would be the baptism with the Spirit of God that would give us the right to become a child of God. So John came to prepare the people for the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, and he fulfilled that role. He pointed to the Messiah and said, Behold the Lamb. He is the light of the world, the one who has come to save us from our sin. But then we see that As great as Jesus is, the majority of the world rejects him. They either don't know about him, or at least they don't think they know about him. Or they know about him and say, I don't want him. He's not for me. I don't want to surrender my life to him. I don't want to allow the light of the world to enter into my life. I like how I am right now. I'd rather live in the darkness, no matter what my eternity might be, that's my choice. And they reject him. Praise the Lord. Anyone, whoever receives him, has the right to become a child of God. Folks, that's a beautiful, beautiful promise. How do we become a child of God? taking what God is presenting to us the gift of life through his son Jesus the gift of salvation through his death burial and resurrection and we believe in the gift that God has given us receiving that gift as our own and when we receive that gift through belief the bible says we are saved No magical incantation, no specific prayer you had to pray, but simply taking the truth that God's presented us through faith, believing in what God has given us, his gift of life through salvation, receiving it to ourselves, saying, this is now mine. I receive it as my own. Then, as many receive them, he gives the right to become his children. If you receive Christ, you're his son. You're his daughter. And no one can take you away from him. No one. Satan can do his best. You will fail from time to time because you will continue to sin in our lives. But you can never be taken out of the hands of God. You're his child forevermore. John was faithful at being a witness question is, are we being faithful at being a witness? Let me read first, uh Acts chapter 1, verse 8 again. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, when is that? When you become a child of God. When you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And you shall be my witness. Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in to the remotest parts of the earth. What's that mean? Be a witness wherever you are. If it's in Macon, Mississippi, be a witness. If it's in Knoxby County, be a witness. If it's in Mississippi, be a witness. If it's in the United States, be a witness. If it's overseas, be a witness. Wherever God leads you, be a witness. That's what he's saying. As you go, be a witness. Testify to the wonderful gift of salvation. We look and we see that John is a deep, deep book. Yet it's so easy to understand. You don't have to have a theological degree to understand John. He just simply says, Behold the Lamb of God, who's come to save man from his sins. And then we have to understand, do we want to accept or receive that gift of God? I pray that you've already received that gift. If not, our time of invitation, I ask you to come forward and let me counsel with you. Assuming that you have received that gift, then are we receiving that same call that John received to be his witness? Let's bow together. Dear Lord, we're so thankful that you're with us today. Lord, that your Spirit is present Lord, not only just in this place, but in us as a child of God. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know that they're a child of God, I pray that today will be the day of salvation, that they will receive this gift by believing in your Son, Jesus. Lord, for those who have already received that gift, help us to realize that you have called us to be a witness, to testify to the light, the light of the world, the light who has come to save man from his sins. Lord, in whatever form or fashion that you've called us to do so, may we be found faithful to sharing about Christ with others. Lord, just simply invite someone to come to hear the word of God so that they can be exposed to it, so that the Holy Spirit can take what they hear and to convict them of their sinfulness and their need for salvation. Or, Lord, maybe it's to simply share our own personal testimony or to share a plan of salvation like a Roman road. Or whatever way you desire, may we be found faithful. Lord, guide us. Use us for your honor and glory wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.